1: morning once again. I just want to greet everybody in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's such a joy to see faces today, and I just want to especially welcome a few people that I'm seeing for after a long, long time. Good to have Anu here. Good to be here. And also, Sister Susan, it's nice to see you back here today after your, your, your illness. And uh, and also, it's a birthday, so make sure that you... Bless her at the end of the service, and it's good to see Sister Y here. It's nice to see you here, Sister. Wonderful. And anyone else, you know, there's light. I can't really see you from this end, so it's good to see. Do you see Pratik and Akshay there? That's wonderful. Okay, great. Good to have uh, everyone here. Wonderful. We are talking about getting ourselves armed for the battle that is inevitable, which is before us as soldiers of Jesus Christ. That's what you're talking about. That is why I call this dressing up for the battle. So as I mentioned last week, we are going to take one piece at a time for the next four weeks, and then the final message on Paul's word about prayers, taken from verses 18 to 20. Today, we'll continue on verse 14, which is all about the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. So let us read verse 14 first. Can you go back, please? Yes, perfect. Yes, thank you. Paul is writing to the saints in Ephesus. And I want us to remember there's this letter. It's called the circular letter. It is not necessarily to the church in Ephesus. it It is applicable to every church. Stand, Paul says, therefore having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So as I mentioned last time, we see that the command here is to stand. He's already told us to put on the whole armor of God. And what we are learning from here is that only if we are clothed with the armor that we are able to stand. That's what Paul is saying here, against the schemes of the devil. So so stand firm against the enemy. Paul says, first, gird your waist with truth. Put on the belt of truth. It means two things. We looked at it last week. Firstly, We need to embrace the truth. We need to embrace the truth. And we must have been born again by God's word of truth. That's what he spoke about last time. And secondly, we need to walk truthfully. We must gird ourselves with truthful behavior. Church, we looked at five things, five signs that may indicate that I'm not being truthful in my behavior last Sunday. I'm not going to go through that now. And it was not an exhausted list, but there could be more. Then we looked at 10 ways that showed how to walk in truth. I'm going to encourage, if you have missed last Sunday, to please visit our website and listen to that message, because I'm just tailgating the message that I gave last time. It's important for you to understand that. I said that the armor is a metaphor for Jesus. He is the truth and he is the righteousness. So simply put, if you put on Christ as the truth, then surely we live as truthful people. Or if you put put on Christ as our righteousness, it is inconceivable that we would live in sin. So today we'll examine the second armor, the breastplate of righteousness. So you'll definitely ask me the question, Pastor, what is the breastplate of righteousness? What is righteousness? So let me answer by telling you first what righteousness is not. Before I could tell you what righteousness is, I want to tell you what righteousness is not. It is not self-righteousness. When you hear people talk about righteousness, we think of holier-than-thou attitude. Now what comes to our mind, for example, is Jesus' parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. We know the parable very well. These two guys are going to the temple or the synagogue, and the Pharisee is pretty pleased with himself, and he goes and stands there, and he says, I thank God I'm not like like the tax collector. I thank God I'm not a robber I'm not an adulterer I don't do these bad things but the tax the pharisee is saying on the contrary God listen I fast twice a week I give tithes I pray I do all the good things on the other side we see this poor tax collector and he is there beating his chest the bible says and he's saying God be merciful to me a sinner And Jesus concluded after relating this parable, and he said the tax collector went down to his house justified, justified before God, but not the Pharisee who was righteous in his own eyes. That is what self-righteousness is all about. So when we are talking about the breastplate of righteousness, we are not talking about self-righteousness, we are not talking about holier-than-thou attitude, this armor, please understand, is only for believers, only for believers, and it is for Christians who have recognized their sins, who have recognized their need for Christ, who have recognized their need for the righteousness that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. So we are really talking about gospel righteousness and not self-righteousness. So before we begin the study, you may ask, Pastor, how do I know that I'm not a self-righteous person? Good question, isn't it? How do I know that I'm not a self-righteous person? So I'm going to give you some quick checklist. Because, church, this problem has been a common throughout the history of the church. Church. And it's, after all, it's so easy to be self-righteous. It's a human and natural inclination that we all need to overcome. So firstly, please follow this very carefully. If you have your papers, you can write down your notes because I'm not giving out notes. Firstly, if you are self-righteous, please follow along carefully, you repel others. What do I mean by that? Have you ever been around a person who made you feel uncomfortable, unrighteous, and guilty? Because you can see how he or she obviously showed their righteousness, this person constantly rubs on your face with their righteous acts, in the process unconsciously put people down. As a result, you don't make you don't want to be a friend of this person because he or she has this aura of making you feel spiritually inferior. Have I come across? Have you come across a people like that? Or are you one of them? If you're one of them, you have the problem of self-righteousness. Number two, you condemn sinners if you're self-righteous. A self-righteous person hates sinners instead of hating their sins. Jesus loves sinners. He loves sinners because we can see throughout the scriptures, he ate with tax collectors and talked to them. Jesus spent more time, the Bible says, with the perceived sinful people in his days than the Pharisees who are thought to be righteous. The danger with self-righteousness is that you, it makes you believe that you are in the position of God. You condemn people and pass permanent judgment. You determine who will be part of God's kingdom. And you will pass judgment and say, this person is not going to heaven. As if you are God. True righteousness loves the sinner but hates the sin. Hates the sin. And I want to pause and let you know this. This church was founded on that principle. You hate the sin, but you love the sinners. Thirdly, if you are a self-righteous person, you love the approval and praises of men. You love the approval and praises of men. You want to look righteous so people will hold you in high regards. You smooth talk your way. You portray holiness in the presence of others. And I just want you to turn to your wives and your your children right now. I'm not looking at you. Do I portray that when I come to church? Am I a different person at home? A question that you need to ask your spouse, your children. Don't do it here. Because you portray a different picture in the presence of other people. You look so pious. That's exactly what the Pharisees did. They they did their arms in front of many people. They disfigured their faces when fasting. They loved to sit at the best seats in the synagogues. They enjoyed being called with pompous, glorified titles in in the synagogues. Just to name a few. Remember, church, when you do something good, we do it not to show how righteous we are. We do it to show how awesome the, our living God is. You know, when Sister Lorna and, and, and Yvette and, uh, spoke about this care package to give it, it is not to tell others how great Lorna is or Yvette is, but just to show how our God, great our God is. We do our good deeds so that the Bible says people may see good works and glorify the Father in heaven, not glorify me, not glorify you. You love the approval and praises of men. Fourthly, you reject correction. You cannot tolerate people telling you what to do. If we remain self-righteous, time will come that it will make us callous. We hold on to our self-righteousness, it will harden us, and by the time when we need to be corrected, pride sets in and we become unteachable. We become unteachable. The hardness of heart may spring from the belief that you know almost everything. You already know what the scripture says. There is nothing new I am going to learn. Nothing new is going to impress me. You think there's nothing to learn anymore and you won't let anybody tell you what to do. We won't allow anyone to point out where we might have gone wrong. Church, I want to admit very openly, I was one of them. I was one of them. I thought I knew it all. The Lord had to humble me And then I cried out to the Lord, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me, and I said, break me, God. Melt me, mold me, and fill me. You know what? God takes those prayers seriously. If you're struggling with self-righteousness, cry out to the Lord and say, break me, God. He knows how to break you. He knows how to break you. Is that you? Do you struggle and you reject correction? Number five, you, if you are self-righteous, you think you are indispensable. You fall into the trap of thinking it's all about me. You look at the results of, the, of your work and say, look how much I'm doing for the church. I'm sure the church will not grow without me. The pastor will surely miss me if I leave the church. Of course, I will miss you, trust me. But sometimes we think so highly of ourselves that we felt that God needs us so badly. Actually, the reverse is true. It's we who desperately need God. Righteous people don't think about things they lost for following God. You don't think about the, oh my goodness, I spent 10 hours in the church. I spent five hours. No, righteous person will not talk like that. Righteous person will say what God has done to me, not what I have done. For God. Are you one of them? Sixthly, finally, you lurch in self pity. What do I mean by that? Every time a self righteous person is chastised by God, he or she sulks in self pity. Instead of seeing trials and challenges in life as a way to develop godly righteousness, they would instead pity and prevent themselves from developing the enthusiasm to fight so for self righteous person he would just endure the trial and not actually rejoice in it and we need to see correction as a way of a way to bring us back to our loving father every correction that god brings about is to bring us back to him when god gives us trial it is not because he wants to prevent us from getting into the kingdom of God, but God is helping us to develop righteousness. Righteousness. That's why Apostle James says this My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. When you come across a lot of problems, consider it joy because, he say, that you may be perfect, complete, lack, complete. Lacking nothing, making you righteous. So, the only way, that's the only way we can destroy the shackles of self righteousness that restricts our spiritual growth. So, having gone through this checklist with you, this is a checklist I'm talking about, to see if you are self righteous people, let's go back to the breastplate of righteousness and understand what gospel righteousness is. Now the gospel righteousness have two aspects to it. Number one is called the positional aspect, which another term is imputed righteousness. Imputed righteousness, let me explain this to you. Imputed righteousness is the righteousness of Christ credited to the believers that is treated as if it were theirs through faith. That is the imputed righteousness or a positional righteous aspect of it. Number two is the practical aspect of it, which is imparted righteousness. Imparted righteousness is the gracious gift of God given at the justification, that is when you become a believer, which enables the believer to strive for holiness And victory over sin. So, this is what Paul is talking about when he talks about the breastplate of righteousness the positional and the practical. So, the positional righteousness is objective, it is Christ's work for us, it's what Jesus Christ Himself has done for us, which is perfect, it's complete, it makes us perfect. It's given to us once and for all when we come to faith in Christ. That's what's called justification. That's the one what constitutes us as righteous in the sight of God. Church, I want you to get this clearly when we have that, that thing so that God, the judge, looks upon us and he sees us through the blood of Christ. He sees us covered in the righteousness of Christ. He sees the obedience of Christ counted as ours. And he looks at every one of you and me and he says, not guilty. Not guilty. The question to you and me, has that happened to you? Has that happened to you? Have you recognized that Christ is your righteousness? He is the only way to be in right relationship with God. And you can be justified in the eyes of God, in the eyes of the divine court freed from the penalty of the law, completely absolved of sin, all of your sins, pardoned and covered. Until you understand that, until you grasp that, you're going to struggle with doubt, with fear, and lack of assurance. You know, there's a beautiful hymn that we know. I love this. This is my favorite hymn. I've told my family that this must be sung at my funeral as well. My hope, is built on nothing less. You know, the, you know this hymn, everyone, right? My hope is built on nothing less than what? Than what? Jesus' blood and righteousness. Jesus' blood and righteousness. Then the songwriter says, or hymn writer says, I do not trust the sweetest frame. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. What does he mean by that? He means, I don't trust my good emotions or my, my feelings. I don't trust any of those things. But wholly lean on Jesus' name. That's justification. Justification comes to us through the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's positional righteousness. I told you, church, that the breastplate of righteousness has two components. The imputed righteousness, which is the positional, and the imparted righteousness, which is practical. I want you to get this clearly. You don't get to the practical righteousness without the positional righteousness. You cannot experience the imparted righteousness without the imputed righteousness. In other words, simple terms, if you are not saved, you cannot be expected to behave in a righteous manner. So here, Apostle Paul is writing in an ethical context. He's writing about practical Christian living. He's asking you to put on something. He's telling we have to do certain things and require effort on our part in order to stand in the evil day, to stand against the wiles, against the strategies of the evil one. So you may ask the question, Pastor, why do we need this? Why do we need this breastplate of righteousness? I know of three reasons at least why we need this. I'll go through it very quickly. Firstly, we need this in order to know that we are saved. We need it because to know that we are saved. Look at this passage here. In, in Hebrews twelve fourteen, pursue with peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. No one will see the Lord without holiness. Church, listen, the terms holiness and righteousness, though they are slight differences, they bear similar meanings. John Piper puts it beautifully, when God acts in a holy way, he is always acting in a righteous way and vice versa. So that's what it says. No heaven no sight of the Lord without holiness. There is no true salvation without a holy life. But let me explain this. Your holy life is not what makes up your salvation. It's not the other way about. You need to be saved in order to live a holy life. Salvation will cause you to live a holy life, a sanctified life. So if you are not walking in holiness... If you are not pursuing, church, righteousness, most likely we have not received salvation. So that's the first reason why we need the breastplate of righteousness. Secondly, we need that because look at this this diagram or or the picture of the breastplate of righteousness. Paul is using some terms, military terms here, because naturally he was in a prison, and he was surrounded by soldiers, and he can see the soldiers... And, he, and he's saying this is, a, this is a warfare, and he's using and he's saying it's a breastplate of righteousness, and you can see in the picture very clearly the breastplate covered basically from neck down about the top of the thighs, and it covered the whole chest region and the vital organs. Same way that you see a police officer wearing his bulletproof vest to protect himself from mortal wounds. So that's the second reason why we would want it, because we need to protect our inner being. And the third reason, the most important reason, is that we need to wear it so we can glorify God. What does the Lord say? God requires righteous living. God demands holiness. He says, be holy for I am holy. So when we pursue holiness... God is glorified. Now look at this verse in Matthew chapter five, verse 16. The Lord says, "Let your light shine so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven." What is your light shining before others here mean? What is that? It is a holy life. It is resulting in good works, it's righteousness, it's practical righteousness outshining in our lives, that church glorifies God. So there are three reasons why we need to have the breastplate of righteousness. Number one, to, make, to know that we are saved. Number two, to, to protect our inner being. And number three is to glorify God. Now comes the million-dollar question. Pastor, that's all neat and dandy, but how do I wear this breastplate of righteousness? We looked at what self-righteousness is. We looked at why we need this breastplate of righteousness. Now I am asking the question, trying to answer the question, how do you put it on? How do you put it on, pastor? Here's the first thing. What was the first armor that Paul wanted you to wear? The belt of truth. You fasten this breastplate of righteousness to the belt of it has to go in that order so first of all we have to put on the belt of truth church we saw last week that was an apron it was like a girdle that held everything together so it was the base for the rest of the armor the, everything is connected to this belt so the best plate the breastplate of righteousness is fastened onto that Listen, church, you don't get the practical stuff without the foundation of the doctrine. That's what I said before. Unless you are are a saved, born-again believer, we we are not talking about righteousness here. So fasten the breastplate to the belt of truth. That's the first thing. Now, in order for us to possess practical righteousness, we need to do something. Look at the Hebrew passage here. The Hebrew writer says this, No discipline seems pleasant at a time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of what? Righteousness. So what do you take from this? Spiritual discipline is vital to possess practical righteousness. You need to have that spiritual discipline in order to possess practical righteousness. So here are a few disciplines we need to adhere if we are to have practical righteousness. Number one, please, this is a great checklist for every one of you. Discipline of purity. Discipline of purity. To live righteously, you need to have the discipline of purity. Church, sensuality is the biggest obstacle of godliness, especially among men. We have problems with our eyes. Men has got, I don't know about the problem that women have, but men has got problems with our eyes. The fall of King David should not only instruct us But scare us of the sensuality. All started with his eyes. Looking at things that he should not be looking at. You know, church, I'm talking to every one of you. We are talking about purity. A pure mind is impossible if you mindlessly watch TV and movies or visit pornographic websites. It's impossible. So fill yourself with God's word. How do you have that purity? You have to fill it with God's word. And and the scripture is very clear. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So develop develop the divine awareness that, that that's the one that sustained Joseph. See what happened to Joseph when Potiphar's wife lured her. What did he say? How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Wow. I take my hats off for that guy. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Because he knew that was not pleasing to the Lord. And the best way for us, every one of us, to have this purity is to have an accountability partner. Church, we always talk about that. Find someone who will help you keep your soul faithful to God. Every one of you. So that's the first thing that you do. Discipline of purity. Number two is discipline of relationships. We are talking about righteousness. Now, you must work on your relationships as God has ordained. If you are a righteous person. It starts in your own homes. Church, look at this passage. Wives, if you are married, submit to your own husbands. You want to live a righteous life? First learn to submit to your husbands. Husbands, living a righteous life, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church. If you are are children, Obey your parents in the Lord. If you, are a, if you are a parent, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That is righteous living. With your neighbors, look at this passage. With your neighbors. The Bible says, the second command is you love your neighbor as yourself don't have anything against them. With your, with everyone else around. Jesus' command, a new commandment I give you, that they, that you love one another as I have loved you. The last one hit you hard because the last one he's talking about in Matthew 5, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Church, this is how you develop righteousness in relationships. In relationships. Relationships are not optional. We are born to be social beings. But they enable us to develop into what God wants us to be and in that process we display our righteous living. So the second one I mentioned is the discipline of relationships and the third one is the discipline of mind. Mind. To live righteously, you must have the mind of Christ, every one of you. It is the mind of Christ that will expose you to the scandal of the unrighteous living. When you can see things through the eyes of Christ, that's when you, when you will see unrighteous things that are happening in this world. Apostle Paul encourages us, look at this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. Oh, Paul, it's easy for you to say it. How do I do it? I need to have the mind of Christ. In the flesh, you cannot do that. In order to have the mind of Christ, one must first have the saving faith in Christ. In Christ. When the Holy Spirit is within you, it indwells and enlightens the believer, infusing him with the wisdom which is the mind of Christ. So the believer bears responsibility to yield to the Spirit's leading and to allow the Spirit to transform and renew his mind. Church, you can never have a Christian mind without obeying the prompting of the Holy Spirit. None of you, none of you can stand and vouch and say, Pastor, I sinned, but I didn't know that I was sinning. None of you can say that. Because as you're about to sin, as you're about to tell a lie, as you're about to steal, as you're about to hurt somebody, the Spirit of the Lord, if you're a believer in you, is telling you, don't do it. You're doing something wrong. But yet you chose. Why? Because you don't want to obey the prompting of the Holy Spirit. In order for you to obey the prompting of the Holy Spirit, you need to read, you need to study, you need to meditate on the Word of God. That's the only way. You have to read, study, Meditate. Many of us read the Bible regularly. We do not meditate on the word of God. Many of us are Bible scholars, we love to study the Word of God, but we need to meditate on the Word of God. Look at this passage. Psalmist writes. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. You cannot be influenced by that which you do not know. How about you? Where's your mind? Do you have a disciplined mind? Fourthly, discipline of integrity. Everybody say the word integrity, please. Integrity. To live righteously, please. You must be a person of integrity. You must be a person of integrity. Our speech, our actions must be intentionally true. Backed by the courage to keep our word and stand up for our convictions. We must let God's word draw our lines of conduct. Integrity in our world today implies moral incorruptibility. So, Christians should be those who cannot be bribed or compromised because we serve God rather than man. We are to people who keep our word. We are to love those around us in both word and deed. Our life should line up with our belief in God and demonstrate a trust that His ways are best. Church, you know, once someone knows that you are a believer, They begin to scrutinize you. They begin to look at you with the magnifying glass. They watch you. They wait for you to make a mistake. Especially those in the leadership. Especially those in the leadership. We have to exercise a high amount of integrity. Because when that integrity is not seen in a so-called believer... We are causing many seekers to stumble. We are causing many seekers to stumble. So that's the fourth one, the d- discipline of integrity. The fifth one is the discipline of perseverance. Perseverance. You know, perseverance is something that we, I, I, I strongly encourage and I, I try my best to practice in my own life. The Hebrew writer say, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. But James put it so beautifully. Look at this passage from James. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life. That means to think about the areas of your life that you're struggling with sin. Perseverance means that's what it is. You have to think about the areas in your life you are struggling with sin. Ask yourself you can persevere to overcome. If you are struggling with anger, I don't know how many of you have that problem. Say no to anger and put on kindness. You go deep and deep into your heart and figure out why there are anger in your life. And how do you deal with that anger? Do some soul searching and then replace anger with responses of kindness and tenderness to those that you get angry with. It won't happen overnight. It's a perseverance, it's a process. If you're struggling with greed and covetousness, put that off and re- replace it with generosity. It doesn't happen overnight. Persevere it. If you're struggling with pride, you put on humility, you serve, you consider yourself not better than the other people, you're not going to do it overnight. Persevere, persevere. If you are struggling with lust, you say no to desires, and instead of instead you put on gratitude. You take steps to get things off your radar, things that are causing you to stumble, and and persevere in maintaining those disciplines. It does not happen overnight, church. Whatever the sin is, I know what what the sins I have. And you, trust me or not, you do know your sins. You know them. You may not openly say it. You read in Scripture, you find the opposite of that sin. And you not only try to say no to the sin, but you also start cultivating intentionally, deliberately, cultivating the opposite virtue. It requires perseverance. Perseverance. And lastly, it is the discipline of church. To live righteously, we must have discipline of church. You may say, Pastor, you don't have to be going to church every Sunday to be a Christian. Have you heard people saying that? You don't have to go to church every Sunday to be a Christian. I want to tell you, you don't have to go home to be married. I don't need to go home today. What's wrong in me saying that? But in both cases, if you do not, you will have a very poor relationship. You'll never attain your full spiritual manhood, nor will your family reach its spiritual maturity without commitment to the church. Commit yourself to the church wholeheartedly. And it is when you are fellowship of believers, trust me, church, you build each other up. That's why uh, King Solomon writes this, as iron sharpens iron or so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. We need each other to sharpen each other to help us in our spiritual walk to remain righteous. To remain righteous. So church, we examined six spiritual disciplines that would help to display practical righteousness. Discipline of purity, discipline of relationships, Discipline of mind, discipline of integrity, discipline of perseverance, and discipline of church. As we sweat out the disciplines of a righteous man, remember what Paul said, not I, but the grace of God that is with me. We have to depend on the Holy Spirit because you can't do this on your own. This is the righteousness of Christ imparted to us this is the righteousness of christ lived out in our lives in the power of the holy spirit we have to recognize that without christ i can do nothing but through christ i can do all things he strengthens me by his spirit so this evening this morning as we come together i'm going to ask all of you to rise i'm going to ask keith if you can come please son And I want us to sing this song. Son, do you know this song? You hope so. Good. Why don't we rise, everyone? And before you start to sing, I don't want any instruments. No. Just sing it without the instrument. Can you? No, you can't? Okay. I was never allowed to sing in a church, son. You know that. Okay. No, church, I just want us to pause for a moment. Please. We are talking about a very serious topic. Breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness. Unless we yield ourselves to the Lord. I know that all of us have failed. We need to ask the Lord, God, I have failed you. I have failed you. I have took it upon myself. I want you to break me. I want you to melt me. I want you to mold me. And then I want you to fill me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Close your eyes. You know the words, everyone. Shall we sing it through, please?
0: Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God fall afresh on me break me melt me hold me and fill me Spirit of the living God fall afresh on me. Shall we sing it one more time? Eyes closed. Everyone, please. Spirit of the living God fall I can't do this apart from you
1: and I'm asking you to cleanse me asking you to fill me asking you to help me help me fight these sins help me live the obedient life you want me to live and strengthen me by your spirit Lord I'm opening myself up to you give me more power more strength from your spirit And help me to obey the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen.